the dead deer boys. Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers, and on today's episode, I'm sitting down and talking with Cole and Caleb Kaiser, a couple of local guys in the 573 area that consistently kill big bucks year in and year out. And we have a really fun conversation. It was really nice to meet those guys. They're really down-to-earth guys, and they know a lot about whitetails. And we talk about mobile hunting, getting out of your comfort zone, getting creative, and a just really good conversation. And I think you guys will really enjoy it. But uh, also, we have some really, really cool news coming down the pipeline for the 573. We are partnering with GV Taxidermy. And uh, to get the partnership kicked off, we are going to do a Instagram giveaway for a shoulder mount for your deer. So we're going to be giving away a free shoulder mount for your deer uh, on Instagram. So if you are not following us on Instagram, I would definitely go ahead and head over to at the five seven or at the underscore five seven three underscore and you'll find us and the giveaway should be going on around uh september 15th around opening day of missouri's bow season well guys i hope that that excites you but this deer season getting close is really exciting me so let's go ahead and get into the conversation because i know it got me pumped i hope it gets you guys pumped too all right let's do it all right, we are rolling. We are in the GV Taxidermy Shop, officially sponsored by GV Taxidermy. This episode is live with Caleb Kaiser, Cole Kaiser, and Grant Bolrath. Uh, we appreciate you hosting us, Grant. Uh, we're really happy to be here. We love talking about these deer. Me too, man. Uh, season's about here, and I'm, I'm ready to start talking about some deer hunting. Yeah, there's nothing more exciting than coming into a taxidermy shop about two weeks before season because you get to see all those big bucks that uh, are still being taken care of. And, oh, man, just gets you pumped up, leaves you wondering what's going to happen for this season. But, uh, guys, you know, I, I uh, how I got to find you guys was this shop. I came into this shop about three or four years ago, and every time I'd come in here, there'd be big bucks he'd be working on and, I would ask him, you know, man, who's that? He's, oh, the Kaiser Brothers, the Kaiser Brothers. And I'm like, okay, you know, never really thought much about it. And then, uh, you know, four years later and I'm coming in here and I'm still seeing big bucks that Grant's working on of your guys. So I thought, you know, I had to get you guys on some local killers. Um, you guys seem to be pretty consistent. So it was nice to meet you. And I appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, appreciate thanks. it. So, guys, uh, I feel like, you know, you guys being from the area, it'd be cool to uh, to talk about a little bit about where you're from, um, who you are, and, and what got you into hunting. My name's Caleb Kaiser. Um, I pretty much lived in northeast Missouri pretty much my whole life. Uh, for a short period of time, I lived up in Iowa for about a year and a half. But, uh, yeah, i just pretty much been living around here in the area and been growing up hunting with Dad, and that's kind of how I got started hunting. What about you, Cole? Uh, my name is Cole Kaiser, and pretty much the same thing as Caleb. We're twins, so where he went, I went, and just kind of followed Dad around and showed us the ropes. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. And then it's really cool that you guys are twins, so uh, you kind of grew up together, and uh, that that's pretty cool. How, 
how was it growing up as uh, as brothers that you know same age, being able to go out in the outdoors? Competitive, <laughs> everything. Yeah. I mean, I'd say a good competitive because like you bring out the best in the other one. You don't take shortcuts, you know. And like I was talking earlier about you know working like for the common goal. You know, it's not like a like an individual. It's more of a team effort kind of group thing so yeah yeah that's good you know having a having an extra guy that you can bounce ideas off and uh work throughout the season that's pretty neat to have um what would you guys say your styles are of hunting you know are you guys do you guys hunt differently or you guys hunt pretty much the same kind of way i would say that i am a little bit more aggressive in a way than what cole is because when I, I've been mobile hunting for about three years now. I started off in Iowa. Granted, didn't know anything about the area. Just took a job right out of college, moved up to Iowa. And I just, I don't know. I kind of had the mentality, just, you know, if you screw up, learn from it, you know. And I don't know. I think that's what, what, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I really want people to understand from this podcast that, like, if you screw up, learn from it. Because history will repeat itself, it may not, you know, depending on crops and all that other stuff. But if you learn from those mistakes and apply them similar situations and even other areas you get to hunt, you'll be successful. Yeah, you can't cheat it, I don't think. No. I think uh, every time you fail, it's actually a learning experience. I think you nailed it, really. Uh, you were talking about maybe like crop rotation yep. from year yep. in and year out. Yeah, that's a good example of, of how if you note that, in the back of your mind then years to follow it's probably going to be similar yeah exactly because like a lot of people i mean i mean how it's hard for me and stuff that happened last week but even you know a year, two years ago and you're trying to apply certain things you know you could have had a drought year you could have had a wet year you know and there's just so many variables and there's like one thing i really liked when we went to beardstown illinois for one of those mobile road shows there is no cookie cutter answer for any of this only, no. The only way you're ever going to learn this is boots on the ground, failing, learning, and being successful with it. That's pretty good advice. You are a pretty lucky guy, if I had to say. You know, I know your brother would say the same thing, but uh, from what I understand, it's your wife's birthday today. It is my wife's birthday. <laughs> and yeah, you're doing a hunting podcast. You told me, you said, you get September through December. That's Caleb Kaiser time. Yep, that's right. Yep. So uh, if you're out there listening to this, you got to look for a woman that Caleb's got because uh, I don't know many women that wouldn't be pissed off about uh, yeah. being on a podcast on their birthday. She's a one of a kind. I'll say that. Put up with me. But, yeah, so I hope she's not listening. <laughs> no, I, I think I think you know, giving her a little shout out, she deserves it, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I know that your consistency of killing bucks from you guys didn't just come easy, and you talked about those experiences you had. You were you were telling me a little bit earlier about uh, kind of the work that you put into it. So tell me a little bit about that. Um. I'd say, like I said, my mobile hunting's probably started three years ago when I moved up to Iowa. I started watching. I know a lot of people know Dan Enfault, uh, the DeQuistos. You know, I listen a little bit of Don Higgins, Hunting Public, and you know, at the time, like you know, I grew up hunting, like which isn't a bad thing, but like we, Dad and us always hung stands up, always had these good spots, you know, and. 
And once I moved to Iowa, like, I can't go pack a ladder stand in. I don't have, you know, I didn't financially wasn't able to, like, go hang stands, like, or even have that many, like, pre-hung sets. So I started off with, like, a Millennium M7 with some Muddy Pros and made it work and bought a Molly pack strap for it. And, like I said, preseason, like, at that time, I didn't know anybody, didn't have any friends, just took a job right out of college. And all I was trying to do was just be successful because, like, that's another thing. I was pinned in a corner because, like, if I wanted to hunt, I had to, I had to go hunt public ground. And, you know, and I think, you know, I'd even say, especially in northeast Missouri, there's a lot of people that get this wrapped at, like, oh, public ground, you know. And, man, there's great deer out there, you know. you just, I mean, you might have to work a little harder, but, you know, you got to hunt where the big ones are at. And I think that's another thing that, like Dan said, was, like, you're you can't kill a big buck where a big buck's not at and i mean that hit home for me because it's like like yeah i've always had some i'd say great properties to hunt but you know if if you're not seeing something or something's not showing up go for another outlet go go try to pursue that you know that whatever floats your boat or a mature buck spike fork whatever whatever makes you happy you know that just even getting out there man it's just awesome Oh, I can totally relate, man. I, I feel like here lately for me, I've been uh, relying on my private land pieces a little bit too much. And, you know, if you don't have the deer that you're going after on your private pieces, you, you know, you're not going to be killing anything because they're not there. Yeah, and I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, we all, you know, look for those pinches and funnels and all that kind of stuff. But, like... Go find your deer that maybe like you can kill early season on a certain piece of property, and maybe your other piece of private property will even have another deer come in. You know, like you know, they always have some deer that come in like, you know, October, mid October or so, and then they'll hang around there for a little while, and then you got your home bodies and that kind of thing. But I mean, if if the deer's not there, the deer's not there. I guess if I'm trying to hit home with. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it, Cole. Would you have to disagree about? Uh your hunting style is it is it less aggressive than Caleb's or is it how would you describe yours I would say when he went to Iowa and he was starting to have a lot of success and seeing deer and just seeing more bucks and bigger deer while I'm still in the whole private mindset because I didn't know people around here just don't know any different it's not like you have like a Mark Twain National Forest or somewhere down south that's 10,000 acres you got a hundred two eight hundred acre property so it's like why would I be fighting 10 guys to hunt 200 acres when I can go hunt my private and take my chances and I guess the I the biggest example that hit home for me is my brother told me he said you need to go sit right here well I had to stand 50 yards from there and I got off work late and I'm like, I'm just going to go sit here. Well, guess what? Walks right by, 145-incher, right to where he's going. And, like, to me, that's when it hit home to me, like, I got to start trying to get outside the box. No matter what, you're going to have to get outside your comfort zone and learn to try to be successful. In the mobile hunting aspect. In the mobile hunting aspect. Well, I think if you're just sitting there waiting for a deer you know you, everybody gets lucky every now and then but like you're not going to be able to kill a mature 
big buck every single year if you're just relying on set stands and uh, you're not doing any research on these deer like you guys are talking about. Yeah, and I mean, if you're hunting a specific animal, you know, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, Cole, but I think the best time to kill them is early. Yeah. I mean, the rut is great. You see a lot of deer. You can even have your target buck come by. But if you're honing in on a specific deer, the best time is early season. And I, I don't know. I, the rut, I like the rut, but I've really just been starting to turn around for the early season. But you got to put it. a lot in, more predictable. And it's just... I don't know how to explain you, it. You got to put in the you got to put in the front work for it. I mean, that's what a lot of people. It's ninety understand. degrees and you're going out there sweating your butt off. And don't get me wrong, there's a big reward if you can get on them and find them and pinpoint them. That's why we go out early and try to have as many or try to find as many different bucks as you can that's worth shooting. So if you screw one up, you got another option to go after. Yep you're not set on like like it doesn't matter yeah exactly you're not set on like oh i got this giant on my private property and if i botch him or screw him up one time or he 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 knows the game i can run over here you know 15 miles and go hunt another deer that i know you know just having those options like like in my mind like if i if i'm not successful on a deer i already know where I, i got an idea where another one's at you know and and that's another thing that's kind of tough for people is like when do you pull off? Like, like when, like, have I, I've sat here five times and I haven't seen an, an antler deer, you know, is it, is a sign there? It, it, it's just, there's just, like I said, there's no cookie cutter answer for any of this. It's just all about knitting and gritting and getting through it and trying to figure it out and just learning from your mistakes. Yeah. And that, that's, that's quality stuff right there. I, I have to relate big time with you guys on the fact that, uh, my success does not come from the rut usually i i pretty much have my the worst time of the year for me is the rut um mostly because the the increased pressure a lot of the places that i can hunt other people can hunt too and um, everybody likes to take vacation time during that time of the year so besides the pressure they're also doing whatever the does are doing and uh you can't ever tell what they're going to be doing on any given day whereas you know early season it's more food source patterns and then pre-rut it's more like okay there's scent checking down when a doe doe bedding areas you may catch them right there at the last light that's kind of how i see it anyways and uh then you can get those you know rare scrapes where which i did last year you know on october 6th where it's able to uh capitalize on a buck that was using a scrape during daylight so for me, it's early to right before November that that turns me on, and I think it's really a lot more fun because there's not as many people out in the woods. It's feel you feel like you got the place to yourself, you know, and, and just nature is doing what it's doing naturally. So I, I like that aspect too. And uh, you guys mentioned that you like the early season, and uh, you know we talked about that. We I like the early season too. Um, I know that you've uh, you guys have had some success in the early season as well. So I don't know. Uh, I know that there's a lot of buck stories to be told here. So we'll just start with maybe one of your favorite early season well, buck stories. Last year was probably our best year early season. I would say he uh, went in opening. Well, you can go ahead and tell it. Uh, your your side, I'll tell mine. 
I went in, I, my brother was on call. We knew this deer was in the area. And I told him, I said, do you want me to go in and see if I can find him? And he's like, yeah. I said, all right. So at the time I was working with my dad. So I kind of told dad, I said, hey, 3.30, I'm out. You know, and I said, I don't care if I got to put it in on the back end. But like I said, I know there's a good deer in here. And I said, I, we got, I got to go find him. He's in there right now. Now, remind you, this deer, I jumped him in the summer, right around the beginning of August or so. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you, you jumped that, you know, you, you bumped him. And I'm like, man, I just, it used to bother me until, like, I started, like, failing and then coming back to some of these areas. And then I'm still seeing mature deer use them. It may not have been the same one, but there's a reason why that deer's using that, you know. So I. Well, so I want to pause you. I know you're telling this yeah. story. But you guys had a great little tidbit before the episode, uh, and that was doing a little bit of scouting here in the last couple of weeks. You guys want to talk about that, how you guys came up on a nice, really nice buck? Yeah. Sunday? Yeah. yeah. So this area, it's, it was actually where Cole killed, semi-close to where Cole killed his deer, his early season buck last year. And before I went out, I obviously looked at the wind and seen what the wind was doing. And all it is, this is another thing, big bucks live in crazy places. But all it is is probably, oh, what, Cole, two-acre little patch of woods maybe? Maybe. Maybe an acre. Maybe an acre. Maybe an acre. It's just right in between like a field cut out and they just can't farm it. It's just too steep and just grown up in trees. It, It sets up at like a bowl. So the way it, this, it sets up, it butts up against cattle pasture right there, and there's obviously big oak trees out there. Well, I mean, obviously everybody knows that deer, big deer, deer in general like acorns. Well, I'm like, let's, let's, I want to go check this out and just see if there's even deer bedding there. So we had a southwest wind, and I knew with that kind of wind that he's going to be looking semi-close to the north. And we start walking down, and I got about – Oh, 30 yards from the fence row, and I seen deer stand up. And I mean, I don't want to put a number to him, but he's probably in a 10-pointer, at least in the 140 range. He gets up and just runs off. And that's when I looked at Cole, I said, I knew it. And the way that was set up, and I know if anybody listens to this, listens to Dan Infault or the hunting public talk about thermals, in the evenings they drop because it's cooling off. That wind was coming out over the top of him, and when he was sitting in that bowl, he was overlooking that cattle pasture where he can see everything. And on top of that, he's in that bowl, so all them thermals roll right down to him. And guess what? We watched him kick out one of his exit trails. Well, guess what? I can just flat tell you, in my opinion, time will tell. I think if me and Cole went in there and he sat on one side and I sat on the other, we'll get an opportunity at him. Yeah, and no. that's what it takes to do before the season actually starts and that's why I kind of wanted to segue that and let you get back into the story a little bit yeah and I you know a couple years ago like I'd really thought like oh man I really screwed up here like I just bumped a real nice buck that I'd probably shoot out of out of here and I'm like this whole technique came from like the Jaquistos of bump and dump and like once you just hear them talk and they've shot monster deer and it's just it just keeps repeating itself. They just keep being successful and successful doing it in different ways. What's well, sorry to interrupt, but like 
what's crazy about that is the fact that when I grew up, and I don't know about you guys, but everybody put a big emphasis on don't spook deer. Don't spook deer. It's still deer. a big emphasis. But yeah. like, sometimes you got to go against the grain and try things, and you'll be rewarded in the end. Trying new things and figuring out new things that work for you. Because what work might work for me might not work for you. And I think the biggest thing is like, I mean, everybody likes walking some people, shoot big bucks on TV. But in all honesty, how applicable is that to anybody in this room? Not, not, not me. I, I own 17 like, acres. I don't know if you guys own any and, land or and, not. And I mean, not in a bad way, but like, you know, I'm not saying I don't plan a food plot or something, but like, how many of us can consistently say we can go sit in a blind or something and shoot a mature buck in a food plot? Anybody? I can. Okay, that that's what I'm getting at. Like, so we got to go out and find them. Yes, exactly. Like, I think professional TV or just TV in general puts out this image that this is the way it's done, and then like you keep watching it, and you keep seeing be successful, but like. You go out and try to use like maybe even their products or something and you're not having the success. And I think that's what's been like, like when I start, YouTube's my best friend, if you guys can't tell, but I just, I can't, after, I can't even hardly watch them anymore because I'm like, this doesn't even apply to me and I can't even use these like techniques that they're using because I, I don't even have like, I don't have like a 500 acre farm with five acres of standing beans and four acres of clove like they got like 15 acre yeah. sanctuary yeah yeah I, I don't have that like i'm hunting cattle pasture i'm hunting little skinny draws i mean stuff that like people would just overlook and they're like oh this is this ain't worth a hunting like everybody thinks you need this big block of woods and that's and i'm gonna tell you you're totally wrong that, that that's that's probably pretty blunt but <laughs> well uh i i have to agree with you and you know with the YouTube and the podcast stuff. You guys are listening to experts. I think if you study the game, you know, you're only going to get better at it. That's why I started this podcast is because I wanted that information to get out to folks. And, uh, you know, I felt like I had a little bit of knowledge behind white-tailed deer. You know, I've been hunting them for quite a few years and been starting to be a lot more consistent. But also, I wanted to get guys that, whether they're local or they're big names, to to tell us how they're killing the deer because I think you can learn from anybody, you know, whether it's something that you shouldn't do or whether it's something you should do. And so I don't think it's a bad rap for you to be watching YouTube all the time. I mean, hell, I can learn how to change my oil on YouTube. I can learn how to build a damn pole barn if I wanted to on YouTube. There's so many good things out there for that. I think it's a great resource. So, uh, you know, if, if you're taking that stuff away and utilizing it and being successful with it then i mean definitely keep doing it and also like i'm one of my biggest things is like like yeah like there's a lot of people shoot great deer but it's like man if you're gonna make yourself better like be a sponge like don't be like oh i've killed this i've my dad's killed five big bucks you know over 150 in this one spot be a sponge and be adaptable because like you're going to have so many situations that just aren't going to be just like plain Jane, like a good old rut hunt, you know, running a doe. Just being a sponge and like taking everybody's advice and like don't be like too good not take somebody's information. Even if they even if they don't shoot as many big deer because like 
you're going to be able to apply so many things if you just learn from everybody. But yeah, no, I I could come up with many examples. You know, I had had a guy that I grew up in, around, and he's just like, yeah, no, I I don't hunt until November. Yeah, you know, I, it's a waste of time. Or or those guys that are like, oh, I don't hunt September because it's too hot, sweaty. Which there's so many things that people are missing out on. And for me, I just love to be out there. So I'm finding every excuse to be out there. Exactly. And I just like like what you're saying. Like people, like if if people like it's your own choice. You go do what you want. But I'm telling you, from the time that season opens, time that season closes, I'll be hunting. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Like as we'll long as find a different so state. Many, you can miss so many opportunities. Wait until November. You could have a world-class deer on your property, and you think you're going there and spook it up, or whatever. But like, you gotta take advantage of the opportunities given. In my opinion. Exactly. If if you know where a deer is like honing in, like if you if you got a even within ten acres, if you got him in a small ten acre piece, tell me tell me one reason why you don't go try to kill that deer. It's not it's not November. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I. I just well, I, November they're not predictable. That time of the year they're predictable. Yeah, because like I mean, even if you set up in a funnel, how many times we've seen a big buck run across the crop field? How many times? How, how, how many of you guys like think of that? Like, I don't, I don't know. Now don't get me wrong, I, I rut's nice because you get to see a lot of deer. But like I said, the early season has really been getting me back into. I mean, don't get me wrong, you sweat, you got mosquitoes, like it's usually terrible trying to even get in a stand because the foliage and getting caught on stuff but man if it's open it's open like if it's legal go after him, man yeah and i think i better rope us back in because i think we went down a good rabbit hole but we were we we're digging deep yeah. so uh, a lot of good information there but i want to take us back to the uh the early season story you were telling us a little bit you had just bumped a Bumped a deer? Yeah, the deer I ended up shooting, I bumped him in early August. Me and Cole were going back in there, and we actually, he purchased some cutty links. And we were putting those cutty links in there so we didn't have to go, because like I said, this is probably like 120, 150-acre field, or parcel. And there's one long draw that runs north-south, one long draw that runs east-west. And then off the on the other side, there's like a, I don't know, 40 or 50 guard, I call it like a little spur, like that kicks Just out. Just like a little knob. Yep. Yep, and that's actually where I ended up shooting the buck the year before in the same location. But, so I called Cole opening day. I was working with my dad at the time, and I told him, I said, you want me to go in there and try to find him? Because I actually I shot a buck in there last year, and I'm like, I'll let him go in there and go after this one this year. Well, he was on call, and he couldn't get out so late. Because, like, if he can't get out on call, and he had to come out of the stand right then. And I'm like... He's like, you go in there because you can stay the whole time till dark. Well, first night in, I go in there, shimmy up the same tree I shot. It's pretty, I mean, it was more of an observation set than anything. Same exact wind that I killed the first buck in. And I, and what was it, Cole? I think you ended up going hunting, but you went somewhere else. And it was well, like. He, he, he texted me at 5 o'clock to the scene. Yeah. And I'm like, it's 90 degrees. He's not, you, you are, you're pulling my leg. He gets on his binos and takes a picture of him, and I'm like, that's him. He was just bedded out in the middle of the bean field. Yeah. So, and it was right, and here's another thing. It's right next to a blacktop road. Now, from the, like, where he was bedded to the blacktop road, I'd say 200, 250 yards roughly. And, but see, here's the deal. 
that field, like when you walk it, it looks flat. And, you know, even if you're staying at the road, it looks flat. But it tampers off right there. That big freaking buck was bedded right on that knob. He was bedded just where the cars couldn't see him, but just where, like, he could see that whole corner. So was he on the top of the knob, or was he, he was, more like he was uh, on the three quarters he, he was, of the way up? I, I think that field would probably drop maybe 10 to 15 feet in the back third, more towards the wood line. So I, I guess to answer it's that, like it's, a, it's almost like a bowl type thing. Yeah, it's it's hard to explain, but I guess to answer your question, I'd say more like three quarters, if that makes sense, because he wasn't bedded straight on the top. Okay. He was just bedded just off of that. But could you think he could see the road from where he was nope. sitting? No. Nope. Okay. Nope. And so I sat there, and like I said, that spur runs north and south, just like the long draw. Well, I had a southeast wind, so it was blowing towards the north northwest. And when that buck stood up, he started walking. Well, he was rock, running that east-west draw. And he could he was running, and he could smell the whole thing, because he's running it, and he can just smell everything in front of him. If that makes any sense. So that wind's coming out of the southeast, and he's coming off this knob, and he's looping around this east-west draw. Well, he can smell everything in front of him. Well, the thing I had going for me is the same situation I had the year before when I shot that eight-pointer. That wind is blowing me right out in the middle of those beans. Well, see, he knows that there's no danger out there because he's been he's been out there all day. Well, he starts working along that edge, and this is where it kind of gets crazy. The deer gets about 70 yards, and he's and I'm at that point I was assuming he was probably going to get to about 40 yards before I had to shoot him before I couldn't get a shot at him. Well, a four-wheeler comes by or a ranger or something. He comes by, this deer hunkers down, and I'm not joking with you, this 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 ranger is just on the other side of the draw, is less than 30 yards. That deer hunkers down, and his, all you can see is his horn sticking up. What's that deer do when that ranger drives by? Sprints straight back out to that knob and bed straight down. And I'm like, that's it. Because at that point in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this deer is bedding on this knob because more or less he can bed there on any type of wind. Like, what can get to him? He's... The closest you're going to get to him, if you make it in clean, is 80 yards. And I'm like, oh. I, so the next night, I'm like, okay, he's there. I'm, I, I'm At that point, I'm assuming that he's bedding right there, no matter what the wind is, because he can just pivot around that, that, little, that little knob, I guess we could call it, in that field. And I crawled in. I, like I said, told Dad. I think I even left at like 2.30 that day because it was going to be a booger to get in there. And I get in there sweating terrible and i crawled up this i think it was a mulberry tree or something and i'm telling you i wasn't i don't know 14 15 feet off the ground but you know kind of gnarly looking yeah it's like all bowed out it's just terrible but i'm telling you i crawl up and i got on the back side of the tree crawled up it and i get up there and i and i because i had him pinpointed pretty good because i i had the binos and i was pinpointing him like where he was and the field and stuff like that i climb up that tree and i'm not joking with you i can see this trail that is about a foot wide and i'm like i know that's the one he took so i get up in there and that that day i had it was something predominantly out of the west that day so i climb up the tree and i'm like it's over like i I, i've just got so much confidence because i I, when he i mean i've never seen a deer just sprint right back to a spot and bet straight down i'm like he's good as dead at this point and I climb up a tree it's getting dark don't pop up 
nothing. I look behind me and I had Doe and Doe and twins come behind me and I'm you know I'm tossing milkweed here and there. And right at dark I look up and that sucker is literally bedding. He I I shouldn't say he was bedding. He was up within 60 yards where I was the night before. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So now I got my, my brain just going nuts though because I'm like, why in the heck would he be over there? So then over by the spur, I guess you could say a little patch of spur. And that's from from each side of the long the long one that runs north south to that little spur is probably 200, 225 yards maybe. It's not and then that and that's how long that east west draw is. And remind you, total this thing's maybe 40 yards wide. Both both draws. So the next day, of course, at the time I was brush hogging. So like I'm thinking all day like Man, this thing! Like, wh- wh- what's he doing? Like, I was I was totally astonished when I seen him up there. I'm like, why? It doesn't make any why sense. And and then I sat there. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go sit right just like because I was afraid where I was sitting the first night that I couldn't make it in there clean if he was bedded close to that that little knob. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna squirt up and I'm gonna be able to shoot both sides of the draw. And that's all I could see. I could, all I could see was about 40 yards. So I go up there, put one stick up, and was about six foot off the ground just sitting there, watching both sides. And then I look up, right at dark, here comes the same doe and twins. Now, I remind you, this whole time, like everybody thinks I'm seeing deer the whole time, the whole, the whole, she, the whole shebang, I only seen a total of four deer, the doe and twins, and then that buck. And then, see, that's another thing I've been, I've, I've been told Grant sometimes. I've been trying to concentrate on these very overlooked spots that maybe the deer density isn't there. But you got to think you're not fighting those deer either. And that's a whole other rabbit hole, too. Social pressure. Yes, exactly. So the fourth night, I think it was Friday, and that's when Cole got off call. So you'd been hunting this deer. That was three days. So three days in a row. It was Wednesday, Wednesday Thursday. No, it was two, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, I hunted, it opened on a Tuesday. Killed him on the fourth day. Yeah, so. Well, way to spoil it, Cole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so, here so, we go. Here's the good stuff. Yeah. So, on the fourth day, once again, I'm brush hogging the pastures, and I'm, I'm, it's killing me. Like I, I can't even hardly eat. I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, man, this thing's, he's here. Like, why, why can't I get it done? You know. And finally. I had a come to Jesus moment that like really hit home for me. I'm like, you like to me, I always think that, and it's not always true in all situations, but I always think that buck's walking with the wind in his face to some extent. And, and even if you got to get, and he might run, walk parallel for 80 yards, but eventually he's going to be walking with the wind in his face, is the way I always over, like look at it as. So I tell Cole, I said, this is why I. I'm pretty sure that you said, I, what was it? Because I, I could, told you, I said, I want to go right here. And Kara said, oh, I'm getting off her. I'm going there. You going to other side. And, and we both agreed, we did agree. We both agreed that it was like a harder spot to get to, and I had more time, and I was going to go there. But the thing that made me think of it was, okay, the first night he had a, I had a southeast wind. This deer was on the west side. So he was working that east-west draw with the wind in his face. Well, guess what? Tuesday, I was sitting there, had some type of predominant west wind, and he was on the east side. So every time, right at dark, that deer would be on one side or the other because right at dark, he could. it didn't matter if he could see, he could smell everything that was in front of him. So then I'm like, okay, 
had a predominant east wind. Now, granted, when on this setup, there's another little pocket field on the other side of this draw. And I'm like, okay, I'm hunting him here, but I'm going to give up this. Like, if he gets over here, he's going to win me. And that and that's and, so, and that's what people understand. You got to take chances sometimes, and like no one want to take chances. And like like I said, screwing up. I guess I don't know. I, I it bothers me, but it don't bother me. But back to that story. I crawl up in the stand, and I, I told Cole. I said I didn't see anything, and he's he's like he's like all right, I'm coming. And so I see him get up. I'm telling you right now, I've never had so much confidence that me or my brother was going to shoot that deer. And Cole, Cole said, hey, there's a deer. He's he seen a deer get up. He couldn't tell exactly what it was or anything like that. It was a couple hundred yards away. Yeah. Like I, I said, just he, see a silhouette. Just... Like, he's, like I said, he's about, what, 200? Two, 300 yards. Yeah. Away. And he's looking across. He said, hey, there's a deer coming. Well, you know, in my mind, I'm like, it's either him or it's the Doe and Twins. That's the only deer I've seen in the three days. Well, that was the fourth day I was hunting. And I'm not prior three days. That was it. Yep. Yeah, that's it. And I sat there, and I'm not joking, even 5 o'clock here, he strolls right through. Two hours before dark. Shot him, at fi- shot him at 15, 16 yards, took five big hops, tipped over dead. And then I'm like, I, I, of course, me. Ever since I shot that great big one in gun season, I just start hooping and hollering because it's a running joke. But I start hooping and hollering. And I hear, I hear, yeah. It's like 5.30, 5.30. And I'm like, what in the world is he doing? And I'm trying to call him, trying to call him, nothing, nothing. He finally answers, I got him. And I'm like, dude, it's 5.30. Like, it was it was way early. Yeah, and going back to that, like, where I shot that deer, and I know I might have already said this, to where I jumped him in the summer to where I shot that deer was under... 75 yards. Exactly. Wow. And do you think that was the buck that you saw, or the deer that you saw? That ended up being the across one he the shot. field, where we're hunting at. I'd say yes, just I, because I, there's, you're either seeing that deer or you're seeing nothing usually, okay. and that's that's another thing that people don't realize. Like deer, you don't have there don't have to be a bunch of deer there to be a big buck. See, some people th- get the mindset that they got to see deer, and sometimes you just got to be focus in like. And accept that I'm not going to see any deer, but I'm going to see the deer I want to shoot. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I have a a friend who I take hunting a lot with me. And, you know, after the hunt, he'd be like, well, at least we saw a bunch of deer. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, I I like seeing deer too. I like seeing nature. But uh, when when I have a goal in mind, you know, I, I only want to see one deer. And that's the deer that I want to shoot. So you, that's a perfect example of that. And then uh, I think it was really good of you to kind of take a look at that deer the first night you saw him and try to make a game plan on how you're going to change it. Because most folks would have been like, all right, I saw that buck. I'm going to the same spot the next night. And they just sit there and they'd watch that buck night in and night out. And eventually that buck's going to pick up that you're there. You're watching him, you're hunting him, and you ain't never going to see him again. I think the biggest thing that I've been picking up from him since he's been this whole mobile hunt thing is the little things. Like, every time, like, we see something or something, it's just like he's always quizzing me. So now I'm starting to get the mindset of kind of like what he's thinking, and he tells me he's telling me too much because at the end of the day, at some point, 
I'm going to be thinking the same thing he's going to be thinking. But that's also a good thing, too, at the same time. Exactly. And you hit it right on the head. Like, yeah, we obviously hunt the same properties, and obviously we both want to shoot big deer, you know. And obviously there's going to be, I'd say, a little bit of conflict in that because, like, you know, if Cole shot the biggest deer on the farm, like, obviously he's going to be giving me crap about it. And it's good, though. I've seen him grow a lot, and especially, like, in a way, I'd say he was a little frustrated I shot that one, especially four days in, and he's kind of complaining. And he went out on his own and shot a nice mid-40s deer, you know, at at a spot we've never even shot a deer, you know, a spot we've never even really thought about even going, yeah. you know. And then guess what? We go back in that same general area where he's at. We jump that nice deer, and I'm sitting right in that bowl within right. 75 yards of there. Well, hold on now because maybe I want to get to that story. Um, what – that buck that you shot in early season, what what was he? You know, what, how do you, how do you, I don't know if you scored him or not or how many points he was, but tell tell us about the buck. The biggest thing, he was a mainframe 10 the first year, and I'd say he was probably around 150 or so. And then the next year, all he did was pick up a, a deep split G2, so it was just a mainframe 11 is all he was. And he, I think he was like – Gained some mass. Yeah, 163 or something, low 60s. So, you act like that's like uh, a small deer or something. Oh, just a, just a little like, And, I, and I, I don't want it to come off like that. I just, one thing I even told Grant, like, some people like live to like kill one big deer a year. And I'm like, what's next? Like, there's more out there. Like, people are always like, we're in Missouri, you know, you, you don't get to kill that many. There's not that many big deer around and all this. I'm like, just look for them, man. Like, you put in the foot, you put in the, the footwork and work your tail off i promise you you'll find big deer and one thing that i've really been trying to do and trying to been telling him like i've been i always look at maps i've been getting better at like looking at maps assessing it and like say one area is 20 miles away but it has a similar like setup i go in those same areas and i'm seeing the same same results i'm not saying it's huge deer by no means but they're bucks when you start finding these little areas and these little pockets that are showing the same results as other places and you can apply that to even properties you may access, public ground or anything like that, you're going to be successful. Just, I guess, going for it in a way. Yeah, no one, well, learning what to look for. Exactly. Because, and I mean, killing a deer is not always the successful part. Mm-mm. It could be just learning something to help you five years down the road to put the puzzle together to kill that buck five years down the road. But success might, you know, might be spooking him and understanding, you know, the strategy or the situation yeah, to help you down the road. back in there because yeah. he might be there next time. I will just flat tell you, the my most learning curve or most I've ever learned in a year was the year I never killed a thing. Never, never, I mean, I killed some does or something, but, I never killed a mature buck that year. And it's and that's what people don't like everybody grades this like success on like what you got on your wall, you know? And it's not that. It's <laughs> I don't know. It, I learned so much when I lived in Iowa cuz I had no other option. And then like the thing I think that's really helped me a lot is I grew up hunting here. I kind of know what some of these deer are doing. But we always had those permanent sets, and kind of like where you were going to, like, I seen this great buck out of the stand. He was 150 yards away. I'm going to go back and sit in that stand. No, man. I, I, ever since I got to this mobile thing, 
when I have some, I have had some buddies say like, I've seen this deer hit this scrape two days in a row, and I, and they're like, oh, I'm, I, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna sit back and watch him. And I'm just like, man, make a move, like, push the envelope. Yeah, exactly, push the envelope. I, I'm and telling if you, spook him. If go, you go find another, if one. you see a buck hit the same spot on the same wind, I don't care where you're at, you can make a move on him. You can make a move, maybe on the ground, which some people don't like that answer either, but. Make it happen, man. Yeah. There, he's there. You know, two weeks down the road, he may not be there. If you know a deer's in the area, go after him. That's that's and that's why I keep telling Cole, like, yeah, we might have like a 200-inch or somewhere one day. And if you booker him, learn. History will repeat itself. A buck will take another buck's place at some point, a mature buck, because he's not there for no reason. Yep. Yeah, so – I feel like I, I have similar situations talking to you guys. I mean, I'm not killing 160s every year by any means, but I will say that, you know, I had a very similar year, Caleb, to you, as in I struggled all year long, and I did not kill a buck. You know, I had a couple opportunities, and I screwed them up, but uh, that year, ever since then, I've been super consistent killing big deer and – you know, it was a huge learning curve for me as well. So I'm hoping this year is the same way. But, uh, you know, I, so I, I really appreciate what you said there because, I mean, you can take a lot away from failure. Yeah, that's that's one thing. That, like, like I said, when we bumped that buck the other day, it's like I guarantee you 75 to 85% of these people would just be like, oh, my gosh, he, he's gone. He's gone forever. Now, I want to say something, too. I have not successfully done a bump and dump. That is something that I'm not looking for, but I'd still like to try to apply that. But we will, t- we will tell soon. <laughs> well, another thing that I was kind of getting at also is that I did learn that year, spooking deer and struggling, that bucks would use those same areas. It wasn't the same bucks, but they were still consistently using that in those time frames you know it's not just okay well i seen a buck here in late december he's gonna be here in late october you know it's not it's different mm-hmm. but uh that's where the thinking comes in you know is the deer using a certain wind to go to a certain food source is the deer bedding here at a certain time of the year you know weather patterns all that good stuff like you had already mentioned about uh wind in the face you know, those are things that uh, you start to just, it's like Cole said, little details that really get down to whether you're successful or not. A lot of hunters think, oh, what's a good win for this stand? And on the mature bucks, you need to think, what's a good win for him? And you need to adapt and try to figure a way out how to be able to find a spot or push the envelope and sometimes it might not be a perfect win and sometimes he might wind you but at the end of the day there's not a i'm not saying every time but a mature buck's not just going to walk with the wind at his butt come walking right to you i'm not saying it won't do it but i'm just telling you everything i've based my success on is the buck walking with like a quarter wind in his face at all times not maybe not quite dead in his face but he's walking with it like you know, where he can smell everything, obviously, in front of him. And, Cole, Cole, you really hit something good that I was getting at. Like, 
so many people have these permanent sets, and it's like, I mean, you know, even me and Dad, you know, and Cole sometimes, it's like, man, this is a great Northwest Windstand. Well, guess what? All we see is does. He's not going to be there on Northwest Wind. Yeah, that... Uh, okay, and here's here's another rabbit hole. We won't go too far down. Oh no, I. But take us down. So, say a guy gets a big picture of a big buck, and this and I, when I started this mobile hunting, when I lived in Iowa, I started tracking wind and everything on my trail cameras and why they were there. Everybody, you know, I had a couple of my buddies nudge me like, "Look at this monster," you know, and I kind of, kind of been a smart butt, but I'm like, "Hey man," I said, "What kind of wind was it?" Oh, I don't know. If I'd have been there, I'd have killed that deer. I said, you sure? Because I'm telling you, where I had my cameras and where I tracked that on what kind of wind I'd usually hunt that on, my first year mobile hunting, at least 80% of the time the wind was wrong. At least 80% of the time. And that's one thing that people, they get a big picture of a big buck right in front of their stand, and they're just like, man, I'd have killed him. I'd have killed him. I'm that's just one thing that kind of frustrates me and and not really trying to go back to that other story about trail cameras either but we put them cameras out in the beginning of august we only had five pictures of that deer with seven cameras and out those little draws and i seen him three of the four nights so that's another thing too can't always trust the camera exactly because it's just taking a little picture and a little piece of time and also at the same time if someone's getting a big buck at midnight that doesn't mean he's staying there correct so right. people think oh i got a big buck staying in my place he at midnight he could be a half mile he'd be staying a half mile away or whatever yeah they're traveling they, they could be traveling yeah. uh, really far distances at nighttime i think another interesting thing about your story was the fact that uh it was bedding in the soybean field oh yeah you know? i mean how many times do you set up thinking that the deer's bedded in the woods and you got your wind blowing out into the soybean field exactly and i'm gonna be honest it caught me totally off guard like the year before i watched this the buck i ended up shooting that year i watched him get up out of the woods but when he stood up i mean remind you these beans if this deer is 30 yards i'm gonna have a hard time shooting him because the beans are so tall when he's when he's standing up all i can see is his jawbone and his horns and it's like man he's bulletproof it that's another thing too people think every or people are looking for a bulletproof spot and i don't really think that's (laughs) depending on the situation correct but i don't think that's completely accurate in a way yeah i mean the deer can move anywhere at any time and pick up your scent so i mean it's just i think whenever people are talking about bulletproof access and stuff like that they're basically saying that they have a really narrow window of getting caught mm-hmm. by a deer. And, uh, you know, I think that's what the game is all about, is, is not getting caught whenever you're getting into a setup. Exactly. And going back to that early season hunt, there's not a doubt in my mind that that deer knew I was hunting him because it never rained, nothing. I know he picked up my ground scent because he was working that long draw the whole time. You know, the east-west draw, I should say. He didn't see it as a threat. Correct. Correct. Well, Cole, uh, apparently you shot a buck shortly after that. When when yeah. was it that you shot shot your buck? I th- I shot mine twenty fifth. No, twenty fourth. Twenty fourth. October. No, September. September. Okay. Well, then we got to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, 
I shot mine on that Friday. Yeah, he 18th, shot his on and Friday. And you shot yours on the Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. So I was a little bummed because, you know, Caleb shot the biggest buck we had pictures of, you know. And I'm sitting here like, I got to have this mindset like Caleb's got. Like, there's always deer out there. You just got to go find them. Well, I'm like, all right, well, this wind's blowing. What was it, Caleb? Southwest? Is that right? Southwest. So. Exact I same w- wind that that other buck's been yeah. there on. That buck we jumped Sunday, same spot, go easing in there, and I'm walking through there, and in this cattle pasture, there's just, I mean, it sounds like it's raining. It's raining acorns, just and they just brush hogged all this, and there's short beans over on this other side, and I'm like, this is dynamite right here, early season, and there's a ridge just below it that Caleb and I walked, and he said, there's buck rubs all over. So I'm like... We walked it that winter. Yeah, that winter. But tell them a little bit of the backstory of what, what were those beans. It was in a shaded part in of the a, field, it in a sh- so it didn't receive as much sunlight. So all so the all other beans, beans were, were three, four mm-hmm. foot tall. These beans were perfect eating size, yeah. and they weren't turning yet. So I'm like, man, there's not a tree to get in. Well, I had my saddle set up. And I look, and there's just one tree. It's about the size of my forearm. And I'm like, well, this is where I got to be. A lot of people think you got to have a perfect tree to be in. And you just got to find a tree that's going to put you in the game. And literally, I got up in this saddle, and I was probably, I don't know, 10 foot off the ground maybe. And I had good cover. But on a saddle, you're facing the tree. Well, I'm like, deer aren't going to come that way. So I literally threw my, because I went to this teaching train because I got mad because the previous year I screwed up. Well, I ended up, they said you can stand on your platform with your tether over your chest. And I tightened it up and I was just standing there on the platform and I was just watching. And lo and behold, about 30 minutes before dark, came out, he came out and started coming. And first shot, I actually shot and missed. Because there was one branch I had to keep, or I was just going to be like a pumpkin in a tree, pretty much. So, at this time, I'm trying to duck down and everything and shoot. Well, my cam hit the the branch, and you know how when your cam hits something, it just nose dives? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that just blew my opportunity. Well, it's kind of windy, so I knocked another arrow. He didn't know what happened. I got lucky enough, he turned back around and walked right in. Ended up sticking him, and I mean, for me that was probably the most rewarding feeling I have ever had. And I've shot, I've shot a few some nice deer. And, and I remind you, we didn't have any pictures of that deer. But also another funny note that goes with that story: where'd that buck run? Right where that one was at. In a general vicinity, within fifty yards. Fifty yards, sixty yards of that bed where we wow. jumped the one this year, and that's. I'm telling you. But he came off the ridge. He didn't come out of that Correct. little hub. Correct. But he died where that buck was at on Sunday. Yep. That's exactly. a testament to what we've been saying is that these bucks, whether it's the same buck or a different buck, are going to be using these locations in and out because that's where they feel safe. It's where they feel like they have an advantage. That's what, That's why they're big. <laughs> yeah. And they're usually very tough to get to spots. But... That's, That's pretty, pretty good. Cool. Yeah, no, so what that what did uh that buck 
turn out to be. 147, I think. Yeah. Pretty nice. Yep. Heck, yeah. That sounds like a damn good September. <laughs> yep. First nine days, that was probably the best we ever had, yeah. I'd say, that quick. Yeah, but it's only been two years. Yeah, I mean, you guys yeah. are, it sounds like, I mean, I know you guys have been consistently killing deer, and it's probably been different time frames, but yeah. it sounds like you guys are starting to uh, starting to find a new method. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious to see how it goes for you this year. Yeah, I'm telling you, Everett, I mean, some people have their own opinions about people, but the hunting public, Dan and Falt, I'll preach it, preach it, preach it. Even the DeQuistos, a lot of the same thoughts. If you're hungry and you want to work, that that's that's the route to go absolutely and uh so just curious you know who's the who's the bigger buck killer out of you two <laughs> early it was me but past couple of years been him so you kind of even out a little bit huh there's always a little bit of luck yeah Oh yeah, that that definitely I, plays a part in this game. It's just you know sometimes you got to create your own luck. Exactly. I mean, with like a lot of this mobile hunting and scouting off season and everything, I think you can stack your deck, but there's always just a you always need a little bit of luck to go your way for it to work. But yeah. Well, guys, you know, I think uh, people can take a lot away from this episode, and uh, you know, I think. There's, we could talk about a lot of your stories and, you know, I'm probably going to have you guys on again because there's a lot to be said from you guys. And I know you guys got a lot of big buck stories. And for me, you know, this, this podcast is probably going to air just before the season opener here in Missouri. So it's going to get a lot of people excited about deer season. And that's, I love hearing deer stories because you can learn from them and because they just get you pumped up. You know exactly. So, any last words from you guys uh, that you want to share before we get off? Let's explain that story in Iowa we had before we quit, because that's a prime example of like, you know, taking a tough one and then not not quitting. Yeah. Okay, we'll try to make this real quick. No, no, no. So take your time. I once again, I think we went up the twenty fourth and twenty fifth of October. Cold drew a tag. And obviously, I track. I think I walked. I tracked over 125 miles for the season open when I lived up there, and then I hunted a whole season. And the only thing I ever found was locked up bucks. I did stick a buck and was unable to find him, but I knew the area is pretty good. And I found this this one piece later. And Cole Cole's begging me to go. It was right before I was getting ready to leave for Idaho the next week to go for a mule deer hunt. And Cole's begging me, "Come on, come on, come on!" And I'm like, "Man." I said, I want to stay home with my wife, you know, before I'm pretty much gone for, I was going to be able to be home for four days and be gone for like two weeks. And I said, okay, I'll come up. Well, of course, first day we go up there and he ended up shooting a doe that morning. But the piece he's talking about, it's an oxbow and it had, we had a northeast wind that mor- that evening and I told him, I said, when I hunted this, I know the doe's bed down in here. I think I counted 17 one night, go bed in this little oxbow. And now, remind you, this piece is maybe, this whole oxbow is maybe six, five, six acres tops. It's it just huge deer density in there. We go up, climb up in the tree, and I told Cole, I said, man, I've, I've never seen deer walk this. Like, I've never, never, ever seen deer. They usually I was of, walking in, 
and I look up along this ridge. I mean, it's like a 30-foot drop, and I look up here, and it's just rub, 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 and it's like, I, I'm not telling him what to do because he's been here, and he knows how they kind of work around here. And now, don't lie, the trail we were sitting on had oh, tons no, of rubs, too, no, yeah. but we cut, we get up the tree, and I'm not joking, we ain't there 10 minutes, and I look up there, and I just slob comes down and i'm probably for sure in the 60s maybe 70s starts walking down the hill well guess what walking with that wind in his face and i'm like oh my gosh because while i'm sitting if i if i had a bow i could have shot him but where cole was sitting and him being left hand he couldn't shoot him well deer smells his buses runs off so and that was well, that was pretty early. Yeah, it was like five. So no, we so we early. we keep running it out, then see another deer. I told Cole, I said, take your stuff down. We're moving, what was it, 40 yards maybe. Go over there, set up 40 yards. Set up our stands, leave them. Same wind the next morning. Come back in the next day. And uh, I think we had a little buck come in right at daylight. Mm-hmm. And then I looked up on the hill and I grunted. And here comes this freaking toad of an eight-pointer. Like... Didn't score great, but I can promise you the biggest body deer I've ever seen. Comes right down the pipe, and he's behind this freaking huge oak tree, and Cole can't see him. And I, he, I mean, he's coming right down the pipe. I told Cole, I said, draw. Draw. He said, man, I can't even see him. I said, he's right here. Shot him at five yards. Deer runs 80 yards. Now, see, so many people have been like, oh, man, i seen this giant over here. It's like we moved over there, and we just killed a deer at five yards. And it, it just – don't be afraid to fail, man. Like – yeah, we just botched a 160, 70-inch deer, but we came back in here and shot another mature deer the very next morning. Because you made the move. Yep, yep, yeah, no, exactly. That's, that's a really good example. I'm glad that you brought that up, Cole. That's what we're, you know, we're trying to get the point across here. I mean, I think it. I think we have, yeah, <laughs> you know. Just, just, I guess my biggest point was when he said that early season, he was always, you got to give up some. It's not... In this in every situation, nothing's going to be perfect. Yes, there is no cookie cutter. So we answer. gave up that one trail, and got and burned. got burned. And then instead of letting us get us down, we went over there and capitalized on it next day. Next exactly, morning. exactly. And if anything, if anybody listens to anything I have to say, I know it sucks, and you might struggle for a long time, but do not be afraid to fail. But when you fail know why why did you fail why were they there and i can promise you when you pay attention to those little details and don't overthink it like if when you know like when i killed that buck early season it dawned on me like obviously i shot him and that's obviously what i believe the wind was in his face and that's why i was running it because it was coming across him but do not be afraid to fail and if if you screw things up for two years guess what in the archives you got two years worth of history and the same situations are going to be coming, like, I mean, ex- excluding, like, droughts and stuff like that and, like, wet years and floods and stuff like that. But you're going to kind of have an idea of what those deer are going to be doing. Just don't fa- don't be afraid to fail and just learn from it, you know. And don't don't get caught up in the inches game. That That's, yeah, it's great that I sh- I've shot some great deer, but I'm telling you, don't. It's all about what floats your boat and what you get you out in the woods. I guess what I'm trying to get with it, so... Yeah, well, I, this gets me excited, you know, and we're preaching, you know, sometimes you got to take high risk to get high reward. Exactly. And if you uh, if you have these experiences and you have a poor memory, jot them down on a paper. Exactly. Because, uh, you know, for me right now, 
I've just been going off memory bank, but I, the more experience I'm getting, I'm starting to realize that, wow, I can't actually forget some of this stuff. So I'm starting to write stuff down now. I, my, I got a buddy that does that too, and he's had great success. And that was even based on trail cameras and like cold fronts and stuff like that too. But just, you know, writing down the winds. Exactly. Uh, whenever you see it, the trail, when the buck comes through the trail cam picture, you know. Exactly. Like, what was that wind that day? Boom, jot that down. And I'm telling you, if you study those trail cam pictures like that, and I know Don Higgins has even talked about having like actual within an hour of a year apart stuff. I mean, even a couple days. But even if you can get a time frame when to be in there, man, that that's night and day difference. So you're not going in there blind, you know. And that's, you know, that could even be more based on hunting a specific deer, I guess. So, well, it's been really awesome talking to you guys, you know, information overload, you know, we're, you're, you're kind of bouncing what you've heard from big time hunters and, and putting that information to work. And I think what's really cool about that is the fact that you're seeing it work. And I don't think anybody can really truly confirm that those tactics are effective until they see it in action, until they try doing it. And that's exactly what you guys have been doing, and uh, it's you guys are reaping the benefits. Yeah, I mean, confidence is everything in this mobile hunting. Like, I can't tell you the last time. I mean, I hunted a couple preset, like pre-hung sets last year, but 95 to... I'd say probably 90, 95% of the time I'm hanging every time, even if I'm hanging going on. to shoot a doe, just because I've got to the point I just enjoy it so much. And usually if I'm not doing that, I'm hunting on the ground. I mean, excluding rifle season, that's a little different, but. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole yeah, other bag yeah, of worms yeah, there. But yeah. I think, you know, where this strategy plays in is, uh, I mean, it, it, you could do it in gun season too, but I think for bow hunters, you know, getting in close, that's what this information is mostly leaning towards correct because i gained all my confidence last year and like honestly like last year i was like teeter-tottering on the idea and like now this year i'm going all in because like once you see some success in it like because i've never personally had success early like that and seeing decent deer or good deer and like once you see it work and once you're successful it just drives you more to keep pushing the envelope and wanting to figure out more spots and more opportunities in case you booger one up. Yeah, no, you guys are, you guys are hitting it all, all, all the points, all the points that I think, uh, anybody that's into or getting into mobile hunting should definitely take into account. Um, for me, I feel like we got we are all on the same page here. Uh, I'm going to be hunting the same way this year. I do a lot of uh, mobile hunting on private property, not not as much public, but uh, whether it's public or private, this method is super effective, and you guys definitely took it to a whole nother level. And and you guys have the proof to do it. You know, you guys have the the backing with uh, the bucks that you've been killing. Yeah, I just appreciate our wives putting up with our BS the whole time. But shout out to McKenna Destiny. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. We'd probably be divorced by now. Yeah, if uh, they can put up with us. Yeah, we'll just I'll just move in with you. Yep. 
watch YouTube. Then the deer would really be in trouble. Yeah. So thank goodness for the wives because then it saves some big bucks for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, it was nice to meet you. You know, uh, I look forward to future conversations with you because I think there's a lot to be said and uh, kind of already talked about that a little bit. But um, any last words at all? Shoot straight. Don't be afraid to screw up and learn. Be a sponge. Love it. I love it, guys. Well, Grant, thanks again for hosting us at the shop, man. It's been a been a great episode. I love the environment, and uh, I look forward to sending you some more bucks here in the future. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm glad you all did the podcast here. I mean, it was super fun listening to you guys. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm learning a lot just sitting here, so hopefully I can test it out this year and maybe put a good buck down on the ground. So... Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, guys, thanks for listening if you made it this far, and we'll see you on the next one.